The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour. U.S. stocks close higher amid signs of easing global trade tensions. As sources tell CNBC, President Trump plans to delay auto tariffs by up to six months. Meanwhile, the president has targeted Huawei with an executive order that would allow the U.S. to ban the telecom company uh, and telecom gear from foreign adversaries. Foreign investors ditching Chinese stocks as the IIF, the Institute of International Finance, says the recent flare-up in trade tensions has triggered $4 billion in outflows from mainland equities. And Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway reveals a $900 million Amazon stake in 13F filings after telling CNBC he'd been an idiot for not buying the stock earlier. Plus, we're live here at VivaTech in Paris, where President Trump's foreign telco ban and social media concerns are front and center. We have a long guest list of big names to speak to, including from the technology industry's CEO of IBM, Ginny Rometty, coming away. The power of the tweet has not been lessened by time, has it? The ability of Mr. Trump to move these markets is quite extraordinary. Now, you may like Mr. Trump, you may not like Mr. Trump, but you cannot ignore the fact that as a communicator, he has consummate skill and has used social media brilliantly over the last two or three years as well. So I thought I'd look a bit more into the soul of the man. I was looking for the art of the deal, but actually I found the art of war by Sun Tzu instead. So I started reading it a little bit more and actually... The similarities between Sun Tzu's vision of the world uh, and the art of war uh, and Donald Trump's vision of the world uh, and the art of the deal are quite extraordinary. Look at this in chapter three about strategic attack. It is said that if you know your enemies and know yourself, you will not be imperiled by a hundred battles. Now, bear that bit in mind before I explain to you what I mean. A hundred battles. If you do not know your enemies, but do know yourself, you will win one and lose one as well. The point is here is Mr. Trump is not imperiled by a hundred battles. He's not imperiled by a hundred enemies at the moment. He's taking on the, the Mexicans and the Canadians. That one's still rumbling. Trust me, if you want fresh fruit in the US, it is still rumbling as well. You've got the trade battle with Europe, which is rumbling away. The trade battle potentially uh, with Japan, uh, an auto tariffs affecting them as well. And of course, the daddy of them all, the Trans-Pacific War at the moment in terms of the economic battle between the US and China over technology transfer, IP and the rest as well. And that has moved the markets dramatically in the last 24 hours because we were down and out on these US markets because of one battle, the concern about the ramping up uh, of tensions between the US and China, executive orders being signed, um, extra tariffs going on. And yet then he touched an olive branch on one of these other battles going on to the Europeans and Japanese about the six month delay. So hence the US markets, which have been down and out, rallied and the autos were absolutely fascinating within this because they've just had a bit of relief. And of course, we had uh, great questions from Jeff, great answers from Hock and Sunderson about these very issues. And if you didn't see 
on yesterday's show, then you need to go to CNBC.com because it's all there as well. Ford rallied 1.1%. Fiat Chrysler put on 1.9%. And General Motors, nine tenths of 1% as well. Let's have a look at technology stocks as well because I just want to have a look specifically and see what Amazon have done because Mr. Buffett, as we mentioned in the headlines, he said in CNBC last month, I've been an idiot. I've, I've missed the rally on this one as well. Well, it looks like he's having a bit of Amazon action. It's not the biggest stake he's got, but it is a significant stake nonetheless. 1.7% uh, higher the stock in session. Of course, a bit of relief if there's any rapprochement between the Chinese and the US uh, in the technology sector, which is definitely, without doubt, the highest beta at the moment as well. Asian markets look like this. Let's have a very quick look at these. Uh, moderate move. Nikkei down mm, seven tenths of 1%. We've got four tenths to the upside uh, on ASX 200. And we've spent a lot of time, of course, looking at Huawei. But do you remember before we talked about Huawei, we talked about the US intentions towards ZTE uh, and the importance of, again, Trump protestations towards that company as well. Well, ZTE shares uh, down down aggressively, of course, having uh, that latest executive order from Mr. Trump affecting the likes of Huawei, affecting the likes of ZTE. But before we move on, Jeffrey, I think you've read both books, haven't you? You certainly read The uh, Art of War, haven't you? Uh, yes, long time ago. Do you think it has Trump-esque <coughs> parallels? Uh, well, there are some elements, um, although I would say that uh, The Art of War pretty much starts by saying avoid conflict if at all possible, yeah. and then goes on to say if that is not possible, then these are the strategies that you should use, and largely it's about bringing your enemy onto the ground for battle that you have chosen yourself. Mm. And I guess the question is, is that the strategy that the president is pursuing at this point, or is he actually opening up too many fronts and allowing allowing the battle to take place on the enemy's yeah. uh, ground. At this a lot stage. of that sounded, yeah, Trump-esque, but he doesn't no. run first, does he? He tends to kind of go straight in there and say, I'll yes. take you on, you on, and you on as well. So yes. is it working? I think time will tell. Uh, let's talk about uh, this auto tariff story. The uh, Trump administration is planning to delay auto tariffs by up to six months. Sources have told CNBC the decision is expected to be announced by Saturday, the deadline for the White House to impose duties on car and auto part imports over national security concerns. The expected move comes ahead of U.S. trade negotiations with the EU and Japan. Auto stocks in Asia are mixed following the news, with South Korea's Kia leading gains, but Toyota, Honda and Mitsubishi are all trading lower in Tokyo. European automakers largely closed higher, led by German manufacturers BMW, Daimler and Porsche. Let's get out to Sylvia in Brussels with the view from Brussels. Sylvia. Good morning, Jeff. Well, the European Commission has not commented on the story and has not confirmed the reports either. I suspect that Brussels is waiting for the official decision to come out in order to give its reply. But in the meantime, we did hear from Cecilia Malmstrom earlier this week. She is the Trade Commissioner for the EU. And she said, and I quote, trade wars are bad for the whole world. Conflicts and disagreements need to be solved within the multilateral system. So a clear message there showing where the European Union stands when it comes to these ongoing international trade conflicts. All in all, though, if indeed this is true and the White House delays the car tariffs, this is a positive for the European Union. 
Let's not forget that the Eurozone economy slowed down in the second half of last year. 2019 also started on a weak footing. So this delay of these tariffs, this economic threat to the EU is for now no longer on the table until indeed uh, President Trump takes a final decision. I have to say as well that more broadly, there is some frustration in European circles regarding trade discussions with the United States. And this is because the 28 European countries are ready to negotiate a trade deal with the US on industrial goods. However, the White House has not said that they're also ready to start those trade talks. So let's see how all of that is going to, pay, to, to take place in the coming months. Let's keep an eye on what the White House says later this week. All right, fabulous, Sylvia. Thank you very much indeed for that one. I'm just pouring through NN Group first quarter results, of course. Uh, this company covers retirement services, pensions, insurance investments, and banking to approximately 17 million customers. That's what their blurb says anyway. Let's have a look. Uh, operating uh, result in the first quarter, up to 468 million euros from 313 million euros as well. Uh, strong capital position as well, as we've come to expect from these companies. Solvency 2 ratio of 213%. Um... What else can I tell you? Cost reductions of 20 million euros in the first quarter of 2019. And the company has also added total new sales, uh, the APE measure, uh, up 72% from the first quarter of 2018. Uh, constant currencies. And of course, this is a company um, that has been uh, absorbing uh, various assets and of course the integration of Delta Lloyd Life as well. Let's get to Lard Fries, who is the CEO of NN Group. Lard, very good morning to you. Always a pleasure speaking to you, sir. How would you typify the quarter? It's a great start of the year. Uh, I mean, operating result up, uh, sales uh, very buoyant, uh, expense reductions continue progress with the integration of Delta Lloyd and a strong solvency two ratio. So I think we're off to a very good start of the year. Um, great, congratulations on that. Why do you think the rest of Europe appears to be in the doldrums? And dare I say, you don't have to go too far within asset management, wealth management, um, banking services, etc., for people to get very gloomy all of a sudden. Yeah, well, of course, we're also seeing in our asset management business, which is part of the overall industry, obviously, um, we're seeing also there a little bit of weakness and challenging times ahead, challenging times. But at the same time, they are producing also this quarter, they've produced a net positive flows on the third party side. So we're continuing also in asset management to strengthen our business, to focus on key strategies and to ensure that we continue to, uh, to build a sustainably good business there. Can you tell me what those strategic priorities are in asset management as well? Because beyond uh, integration of asset managers, I'm struggling to see the differentiation of the active guys and the wealth managers out there uh, from the passives as well. So what is the, the fight back strategy? Focus, focus, focus. It's focus on key strategies. Uh, it is ensuring that you have a relentless dedication to good client service and obviously efficiency. So uh, making sure that you uh, produce against the lowest possible cost, the highest client service, and, very, and focus on very particular strategies, which in our case is multi-asset, ESG-type strategies, uh, high conviction, uh, 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 beta and fixed income uh, specialties, etc. So that's what we do. 
Um, Lard, if I could take you to Japan for a moment here, I was intrigued by the uh, the results from the three major Japanese banks, which look quite troubling, actually, for the growth momentum in the Japanese economy. How is your business going to fare, given that some of those uh, growth headwinds appear to be showing up now in Japan? Well, we've seen in the first quarter uh, an outstanding result of our Japanese business with a very strong and excellent growth uh, uh, profile there, which was uh, uh, driven by a couple of things. First, by uh, good distribution and sales efforts, but also by an emerging expectation that the tax rules around our products would change and that, that had an impact as well. Moving forward, we believe that our business, which is fully dedicated to serving the needs of small and medium business, medium enterprises in Japan, is very well positioned. We're there for 33 years. We are focused completely uh, at that niche, and we're dedicated to that niche. So we will continue to build a business that has shown uh, very good results. As you point out in your own statement, there's uh, continued movement, uh, continual movement in, in the regulatory regime around insurance product at the moment uh, and uh, pension products, uh, particularly in Japan at the moment with potential shift in the tax treatment. Uh, again, can I ask you, I mean, how do you manage these regulatory changes and what do you think any meaningful impact might be on earnings going forward? We have uh, seen uh, a number of regulatory changes, uh, not only in Japan, but also in other pieces uh, of the markets of the markets in Europe where we are operating in the pension area, for instance. Uh, we are very experienced in dealing with these uh, with these periods of change, as has been demonstrated by the long history that we have with that. Now, when it pertains to Japan, we believe that in the near term, sales may be held back. But at the same time, we also believe that the new tax rules will encourage persistency of our enforced books. Uh, enforced book. So we believe that um, the dividend capacity of the business remains intact and that also we will adapt like we've always done and then tap into the continuing underlying need for our SME customers to take care of their retirement and to plan for that and to protect their key, their key personnel. Can I ask you about the M&A landscape then going forward? Obviously, you, you've, you've bedded down the Delta Lloyd business here. You, you are sitting on uh, a sizable amount of cash at this point. But this is a whole segment of the market that is still impacted by these very low interest rates and other challenges for the financial services sector. What role do you see yourself playing in uh, M&A going forward? M&A is of a game of opportunity meets discipline. And we are a company that always looks for opportunities to strengthen the business with the priority of those in those markets where we already have a presence. Um, so we're always on the lookout. But again, M&A is a game of opportunity, but most importantly, also of discipline. We have very strict financial and non-financial criteria. And if we believe it's the right thing to do, we'll act. And if not, we'll not. Just one for me to finish off there. Uh, net operating ROE, 9.9% as opposed to the previous figure a year ago, 7.3%. Great trajectory there as well. Uh, can we see more of the same going forward? Is it going to carry on moving upwards or actually have you reached a, a plateaued level? We have medium-term targets. The, the most important one is 5 to 7% growth of the net operating earnings 
uh, measured over the medium term. Um, we are continuing to do all kinds of things to improve uh, our earnings profile, our return on equity, our return on capital. Uh, and we do that by growing in markets where we can find profitable growth and by reducing expenses to, to maintain our competitiveness, and to improve our processes uh, and to make our customers more happy. Uh, great, sir. Thank you very much indeed. And congratulations on the numbers there. Lars Fries, who is the CEO of NN Group as well. Uh, and Jeff, I was taking a look at the, the shares in this company yeah. as well. No mean feat in financial sectors, financial services in Europe. I know we can talk about the insurers, we can talk about the, the banks, and then we talk about companies like this. It's had a good move as well. If you know over a longer term period, if you look at the chart, very, very healthy longer term chart, stalled a little bit in the most recent times, as indeed that chart is showing just towards the right hand side, just coming off a little bit from the highs. Yeah, it was a bit of a copper plate answer on the MA story, but I think it is interesting to continue watching this space given the um, the mergers and, and the takeovers we've seen in the asset management area in the UK. It has to continue, doesn't it? it, it you just figure that there's too much capacity and not enough business. Yeah. So we'll uh, keep an eye on that one. US retail sales fell 0.2% in April, missing expectations, sales of electronics and appliances led the decline, dropping 1.3%, while car sales fell 1.1% as American consumers cut back on their spending. Plenty coming up from Viva Tech live in Paris. I'll be speaking to Maurice Levy, the publicist chairman, also a long guest list for you this morning, including HPE's Antonio Neri, IBM CEO Ginny Rometty, and plenty more, including Ericsson's Boya Erkham. Stay tuned for the conversation live from Viva Tech. The Trump administration added Huawei and its affiliates to a list that bans companies from acquiring equipment from U.S. companies without government approval. In a statement, the Commerce Department said the move aims to protect U.S. technology from, quote, foreign-owned entities that could undermine national security. And the announcement also comes after President Trump signed an executive order barring U.S. companies from using gear supplied by firms that pose a national security risk. In in response, Huawei said it is willing to work with U.S. officials to, quote, ensure product security. French President Emmanuel Macron and New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern met with government and tech leaders to address online violence and extremism following a terror attack in Christchurch in March. Speaking at a news conference, Ardern called for action to end, quote, the hate in itself. The social uh, media dimension to the attack was unprecedented. Uh, and our response today with the adoption of the Christchurch call is equally um, unprecedented uh, as well. Never before have countries and tech companies come together in the wake of a horrific attack to commit to an action plan that will deliver collaboratively work and new technology uh, built to make our communities ultimately Safer. Well, let's get out to Karen to talk about some of the deliverables from that event and also to uh, showcase the VivaTech conference in Paris. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Jeff. Well, plenty happening here in Paris, as you can see from the sound bites already. I want to bring in Maurice Levy, who is the chairman of Publicist Group and also a big organizer behind this event. Uh, many of the events yesterday, too, had uh, your stamp on it, I think. I want to talk about Christchurch Call and also Tech for Good, the two big tech summits that were running parallel yesterday. What did you make of the conversations that were had? The Christchurch uh, call was not only something extremely moving, but also extremely 
effective because uh, uh, the, the key players in uh, uh, social network have decided to support. Uh, it's something which has been discussed amongst uh, the head of states. The Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was there and has been ma making a very moving speech regarding uh, how the hatred and the uh, speech of hate are uh, contaminating uh, the social network and I believe that uh, this is a landmark in how people will uh, now operate and uh, how some uh, discussion will be quickly erased from uh, the social networks. There is still some criticism that potentially the changes don't go far enough because it still puts the onus on the social media companies to do more. And one of the issues seems to be the ability of these technology companies to remove negative content very quickly, almost immediately. Do you think we're going to see that change of behaviour from technology companies that you have worked with a lot as an advertiser? I think that uh, it's not only a question of technology, it's also a question of uh, willingness. And uh, there was a big debate regarding uh, freedom of speech and uh, can they uh, remove uh, things because of uh, the freedom of speech or should they have a kind of censorship? And at the end of the day, there is a balance which has been made and I think that where we are today it's a good step. I wouldn't say that it's the uh, ultimate solution and this is the best thing that we can do, but I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, Facebook has been uh, extremely strong on their uh, willingness to help. It's the same with Jack Dorsey, who was there personally. And we, we feel that there is a, a consciousness of uh, the leaders of the social network that this can harm and this can be a, a, a terrible uh, thing uh, for society. So they are conscious of the need and they have taken steps. When it comes to the, uh, the tone that some of these companies have taken, effectively Facebook wants to see more regulation, which makes you wonder whether they want to entrench their own position. Uh, I, I think that, uh, again, uh, we have to be extremely cautious. I'm um, personally uh, extremely favorable to a lot of freedom for companies uh, in order to grow and to develop. I think that without the freedom that has existed, the Google, the Facebook, the Amazon of the world would not have existed. So it's very important that there is a, a, a freedom at the same time it is also extremely important that uh, uh, they, they behave as good citizens. And if they don't, we need regulation. Let me ask you about Tech for Good, because you were part of that as well yesterday. What changes have you seen? Because this was an initiative that happened last year. You had a, a couple of big-name CEOs, including Ginny Rometty, trying to bring about change, Dara Khosrowshahi. Do you think we've seen much progress in the last 12 months? Uh, not only we, we have seen uh, a lot of progress, but the reason why we have seen this progress is that from uh, last year till this year, there has been a lot of people working on the key issues. So uh, if you take the example of Ginny Rometty, uh, IBM and her, uh, uh, her team 
have been working with some of the teams in order to bring some solutions that we have been discussing yesterday. And there has been some very pragmatic solutions on education, future of work, on gender equality, some commitments which have been made very strongly by Jean-Paul Agon and Gillian Tans on what should be the balance between men and women, giving more power to the women. So, uh, and the same happened with uh, uh, climate change and environment. So there is a, a, a very strong willingness to work in that direction and that technology is considered as being good for the people, good for society. So we, we, I believe that we are in the right direction. At the same time, when we talk about these big changes, tech for good, trying to enhance the ability of technology to have great outcomes for populations, we still have company CEOs here that have to get down to the nuts and bolts and run their businesses. And we have a trade war that is still being waged. The US and China have not reached a resolution. Fresh news flow out overnight that President Trump has effectively stopped Huawei from building out 5G in the United States. What impact is the trade war having on the willingness of CEOs to invest in the future? Uh, the investment for the future is indispensable to the CEOs and we need for that uh, a landscape which is relatively stable and safe. And currently there is uh, uh, not only the issue between China and the US, uh, but the fact that this has not been solved has repercussion on the whole world. So for us, it's extremely important that we find a resolution. And it's clear that there is an imbalance between uh, China and the rest of the world when it comes to uh, foreign trade. And it is also clear that there is an issue on IP. So everything which can be done to reduce the gap and to come closer uh, and to do it fast because the uncertainty is not favorable to us and uh, we see a lot of CEOs we are questioning uh, about the future and what will happen and how to act for the next uh, uh, two years, where to put the investment uh, and, and this is a, a critical issue. So I hope that uh, uh, the negotiation between China and the US uh, will be resolved pretty quickly uh, because it is a kind of uh, 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 pressure on uh, all the foreign trade. Now, you have a very big guest list here at Viva Technology. Jack Ma from Alibaba, French President uh, turning up shortly, Ginny Rometty from IBM, we are Ercom from Ericsson. Who are you most looking forward to speaking to this week? Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's very impressive. And uh, Jack Ma has made a speech yesterday night at the dinner given by President Macron, which was absolutely fantastic. Everyone were impressed. It was a very inspiring speech, and uh, uh, I hope that uh, people will get inspired with this kind of, uh, of approach. So he's, he's the one to watch? He is one of the few to watch, and there is also uh, someone that you have not mentioned, was Justin Trudeau. Of course, uh, Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau. And there are a lot of startups. And there is something which is quite interesting. We will have uh, Usain Bolt yes. uh, with uh, his Bolt uh, scooter. Well, so, well, we're limbering up to speak to him at so this conference. <laughs> I, I, I hope you will be able. It's absolutely fantastic. We are seeing a lot of innovation, a lot of uh, 
uh, great new startups. Uh, uh, we have extended the space, and uh, we know that there will be uh, more startups than last year and big, big names. It's a fabulous uh, amount of energy on the ground here. Thank you very much for joining us so early this morning. Maurice Levy, the chairman of Publicis Group and the organizer behind Viva Tech. The US trade dispute with China has cost Chinese equities around $4 billion in outflows over the last two weeks, according to the IIF, the Institute of International Finance. This week, investors pulled $1.5 billion out of the region after $2.5 billion exited China last week. Matt has more on the story from Singapore. Hi there, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a big report that we've been watching today, as you rightly point out, out of the Institute of International Finance. It shows that that recent escalation in the US-China trade war has resulted in the biggest capital outflows in emerging markets and China in particular since October of last year. Now, according to the IAF, in the past week or so, capital outflows in Chinese equities totaled $4 billion, as you rightly point out, $2.5 billion uh, a week ago, $1.5 billion this week, sparked by the escalation in these uh, trade woes that the IAF says is the worst that we've seen since October of last year. But to put it into some context and just to show you the size of this, total outflows in April of China equities were about 18 billion Chinese yuan or about 2.5 billion US dollars. So it's almost double that that we've really just seen in the past week and a half or so. It's not only China as well. South Korea, India and Indonesia have also moved in the same direction when it comes to investors taking money out of the market. Inflows into emerging market bonds, though, have remained fairly steady over that period. So according to the IIF, it suggests that funds and big investors uh, really aren't hopeful of a near-term resolution on the trade dispute at this point in time. So they're fleeing for the exits. Jeff and Steve, back to you. Terrific, uh, Matt. Thanks very much for that. Can I disagree with Matt from a distance, but uh, do it with you? Because okay. I know Matt's gone. Um, right. I, I'm not that fussed about this. I, I'm afraid to say. Yeah. I looked at the numbers and I saw the report, and I, and I know that um, our head of news and Matt are very interesting as well, but $2.5 billion, I, I'm trying to find an accurate level of the Chinese market cap. Right. And I, I'm struggling to find an accurate level, but somewhere in the region of 5 to 5.5 trillion US dollars. Mm. Not the biggest outflows ever. Five to five and a half. That that seems bigger than the historical number that I remember. But well, but what I will say to you, um, the ratio, and this is this is what I was interested in because increasingly there is an income function from the performance of the equity market in America. Okay, and people look very closely at the performance of the market, both capital and income growth, because that money flows back into the economy through owners of equity because as we know ownership of equity is quite widespread in the, the in the US if you look at china with that same viewpoint i think you misunderstand the nature of the role of the chinese equity market okay. if you compare the relative sizes um, the US is about 140% uh, in terms of the market cap to the size of the economy so market cap as, as a percentage of GDP, which is what Warren Buffett uses a lot to so try and US work out value. Economy is worth about $20 trillion. Isn't Something it? like that, yeah. yeah. So when you look at China, historically it's been about 50%. Mm. Now it's crept up to around 70 75%. But that still is somewhat less than you see in the United States. And it, it, it 
gives you a sense of the relevance for the Chinese economy of a strong performance in the equity market. Now, as we know, they are trying to shift the model to much more of a retail focus and encourage equity ownership in pensions and other wealth products as a way of getting uh, uh, the state less involved in the social sure, management sure. of people's lives. Mm. But that ratio, I think, just says to you, yes, this is interesting that mm. there's a, this outflow, oh, no, for sure. yeah. but let's not get too excited about it. I think we're on a very similar page. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the, these are $20 trillion economies, the yes. Chinese and US vying for the title of the world's largest economy. Yeah. Uh, as you quite rightly say, the size of the stock market, it's going one way, mm. fact, end of. Mm. You know, that is part of the plan and that's what the Chinese will achieve. Now, whether it's achieved at a lower market cap from where we are now or a higher level of the Shanghai Composite, that remains to be seen. But the inflows are going to go one way or the, so the size of the market will go one way. My, my, just my parting shot on this to you, and I'd be interested in your view, is is this actually about the trade war or is it about the fact that the uh, dollar index mm. is heading towards 100 and historically emerging markets do less well in a stronger dollar environment? You've answered your own question. It's, it's, it, it, again, we talk about knee-jerk. Like when, when certain technical factors happen, i.e. when um, you have a lot of rollover of your sovereign uh, and your bond markets generally in dollar terms and the dollar rallies as well, then you are under pressure domestically. There are knee-jerk. Same with the dollar earners in the United Kingdom. When the pound goes down, the dollar earners go up and vice versa. So there are certain technical things that happen regardless of sentiment in the markets. You can add sentiment on as a key factor, and I'm a great believer in confidence or lack of it, mm. but there are technical factors that happen, and if your dollar funding costs are going up, then your EM is going to be under more pressure. Uh, Warren Buffett's uh, Berkshire Hathaway amassed a stake of over 480,000 shares in Amazon by the end of March 31st, according to a Securities and Exchange Commission filing. By Wednesday's close, that represents a value of $904 million. The billionaire investor first made the disclosure to CNBC ahead of Berkshire's annual shareholder meeting. Buffett said he'd been, quote, an idiot for not buying. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.